you so much, Pete. Well, let's pray, church. Fathers, we have just gathered around the reading of your word. As our brother Scott just reminded us, Lord, we just center our hearts, slow them down. God, to be able to hear from you. Lord, we ask for grace in our minds, God, to eliminate distractions. Father, we confess we're so easily distracted. But right now we worship you with our minds, God. And I want to ask you to have a little conversation with God right there in your seat, just wherever you are in your spiritual walk. And would you say something like this, just in the quietness of your heart. Lord, speak to me today. Lord, speak to me today. Let's say this, for Lord, I intend to obey. Lord, I intend to obey. Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. I ask, Father, that through the work of your Holy Spirit, God, you would encourage, teach, equip, challenge, and convict us, Father, as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. All right. Ready to dive into 2 Thessalonians. And um, if you're new with us, we're in this series here, 2 Thessalonians, navigating this book. The theme for the whole book is really peace to the end. As we see uh, Paul write to this church plant, and um, and as he's writing to this church plant, he wrote First Thessalonians. That was the first letter, and um, and he had to be kicked out of that uh, town, that city there, because of the persecution that was occurring. Uh, in fact, when they went to the next town over in Berea, uh, they chased them there. They heard they were doing a gospel work there. They said, "Man, we hate that that gospel work is going on." So they began to chase them in Berea, and so uh, Paul later in Corinth. Uh, uh, when he was in Corinth, wrote to the Thessalonians and encouraged them. They were just a baby church, brand new Christians, and he encouraged them in their faith. And then he probably got a report back. And then probably maybe even a couple weeks to a couple months later, he composed this book, the book of Second Thessalonians. And, uh, and as we said the other week, he kind of uh, deals with three issues uh, that the Thessalonians are going through. Uh, one being persecution, they're being attacked. Uh, the other one being uh, false teachers claiming to be Paul, sending fake letters saying Jesus has already returned and all this sort of end times craziness. And then um, then you've just got some lazy and idle Christians being busybodies uh, in the church. And so he deals with these issues. And so uh, as we navigate this, uh, it's important for me to remind you that persecution still exists uh, today. Uh, we don't necessarily see it in the same ways in America as many of our brothers and sisters all across the globe experience it. But just this week, uh, received news reports uh, that in Nigeria, over 36 Christians uh, were killed and, and their churches and homes burned um, by people in Nigeria. Many of you know, if you've been a part of Plaza for any time, we have a longstanding partnership with uh, Pastor Friday uh, there. And we've helped uh, support that ministry probably for over uh, 12 years now. And, uh, and I received a text message. It was not I uh, wasn't the same part of the country they uh, are in, uh, but I did receive uh, another request from um, from them saying pray because in a separate incident, one of their pastors and churches uh, homes was attacked and, and burned as well. And so uh, these things are happening as we think about what's happening in Thessalonica. Uh, these things are still happening all across the globe today. Uh, in fact, Nigeria uh, ranks 12th as uh, the, the top 12 list of most unfriendly countries to Christians. And so uh, I encourage you and, and I encourage myself to pray for those believers. And so um, 
As we navigate today, the title of today's message is, I Know How This Story Ends. So reach over, find a neighbor to get to know and get comfortable with, and ask them, say, do you know how the story ends? It's okay. It's okay to talk in church. Do you know how the story ends? Are you the type of person that, that when someone's telling you the story, right, you got to know how it ends first? A lot of us are like that, right? Um, my wife is like that, and, and I tend to be the opposite. I have a, I have the kind of cruelness in my heart that God is still working out, you know. I like to kind of like bring her along, you know, and uh, I'll be like, hey, this happened to somebody today. She'll be like, are they alive? What What's going on? Like, oh, what happened? And, and, and then I just backtracked like to the very beginning. I'm like, well, it was about 9.15 and I got a call. She's like, just tell me, are they alive or not? Like, what's going on? You know, and, um, you know, you're talking about somebody at work, you share something about work, and it's like, oh, man, did they get fired or not? Did they move to another town? Just t- i got to know how the story ends first, and then you can go back and tell me the details, right? Anybody resonate with that, and, and you do that and deal with that in your home? It's like, I do a lot better if I know, okay, they're still alive. All right, now tell me the story. All right, what, what happened? And um, many of you are new here at Plaza, and, um, and as we were talking in the hallway with some folks, uh, somebody had said, yeah, Pastor, remember that time you got bit by a poisonous snake? And uh, and a lot of people were like, what? And uh, so uh, a lot of you don't know that I was bit by a poisonous, or I think the correct word is a venomous snake, a copperhead, uh, approximately four years ago. And um, as you can see today, um, the story turned out for the most part okay. Um, and I'm here. So you kind of know how that story ends. Um, and somebody said, do you have any residual effects uh, from that snake bite? And uh, And I said, well... Every once in a while, um, my tongue just kind of does this. It just kind of pokes out. I'm not really sure if that's related or not, and, uh, and that's a good way to freak people out, you know. And uh, my eyes get real beady, and you know, uh, praise God, I don't have any uh, effects from that. But we, we, you know, it's a story that I can tell now, and uh, be, because it, it ended well, and uh, we saw God's hand of grace protecting me, protecting our kids. We were. Uh, to tell you some of the details, since now you know that I'm still here and, and the effects are minimal, um, is that we were camping uh, about an hour and 15 minutes away from here. My parents uh, had a house there in Hertford, North Carolina, and uh, they have a house. Yar, we were just going to do some camping. The yard were coming back from lighting the little uh, fire pit and having some s'mores, and two of the kids were already in the tent. And, um, and then all the rest of the little kids, this is my kids and cousins, they're getting ready to go get their PJs on and then go in the tent. We're all going to sleep out in the tent. Uh, that night, and um, and on the way back to the house, you know, we're all walking. I decide I'm gonna bang on the tent and scare the kids that are already in the tent. So I'm going like, rah, rah, and I'm banging on the tent. They're going, rah, rah, you know, those fun sorts of things. And I get around the front of the tent, right by the door where the shoes are, and um, and then I feel this, Pyah! I'm like, oh man, what was that? And uh, it was just dusk, you know, it was just, the sun was setting, and it was enough light for me to see a little thing coil back up, right by the kids' shoes, and I knew right then. I was a poisonous snake, and um, and uh, man, you know, but God had uh, prepared me, God had uh, taken care of me, and, and so I had to get antivenom, had to go to the hospital, that sort of stuff, but we just thank God um, that he was sitting right in front of the children's shoes, and um, and uh, those two kids had just went there probably five minutes earlier. They could have at any point opened that door, got their shoes on, and it could have been one of those kids, or the rest of the smaller kids, the twins were about a year old at that time, could have went to that door at any time. And, um, and praise God, they didn't. And, um, and I only got one fang, I think, um, and uh, on, on the end of my big toe. And so, man, if, if you're going to, I guess, get bit by a poisonous snake, that's a good place to get bit. 
Um, it still wasn't all that fun. Uh, still wasn't all that pleasant. My legs swelled up and um, got some pictures, uh, you know, to, to show you. I didn't bring any today, but uh, if, if, you, if you ever want to see those, I'm sure I could share them. One of our men, uh, Mr. Dick John, in fact, uh, he was here earlier and, and prayed for him. He wasn't feeling too well. He, he went home after his community group, but uh, he would send me a penny in the mail and say, here's another Copperhead, Pastor. And uh, <laughs> if any guys know who Dick John is, just great sense of humor. He's always got jokes, and, uh, and uh, I learned to appreciate that joke. But, you know, when you know how the story ends, you can, you can get through it, right? You can navigate the issues that you're dealing with. Or you're watching a movie, you know, you, you know how the story ends. You know, if, if you know what it's going to be like, you, you can watch the movie. But, you know, if you don't know how it's end, you're like on your seat. You're like, oh, my gosh. Are all the Avengers really dead? Do they all get disappeared by the snap? Like, what happened? If you're watching Star Wars, like, is, is Rey really dead? What's going to happen? You know, like, all these things. You're on the edge of your seat, and, and you've got to know how the story And once you know how it ends, you can rewatch it. You're like, ah, oh, it's not so scary anymore. So do I know how this story ends? And maybe for you, you're in a situation, right, where you're going through a trial. And, and what the enemy loves to do is, is to get our eyes focused on the trial and not thinking about how the story ends because you're, you're in a situation where you got maybe kicked off the team. Maybe you're in a situation where you got fired. Maybe you got dumped by a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe you recently got a divorce. Maybe you've been attacked and abused. Maybe you just moved recently and you've lost sort of all your connections. Maybe you've got an unexpected health crisis. And in the middle of these things, we're asking God, what's going on? And I kind of need to know how this story ends, right? The reality is we do know how the story ends, don't we? The story ends with us winning. The story ends for believers with us in victory. Now, you and I may not know how this chapter ends, right? When I got bit by that snake, I was like, Lord, I'm not so sure how this chapter is going to end. And I'm, I kind of thought that my chapter was about to end, you know, um, and uh, I thought, Lord, are you going to take me home? The, the, the doctor asked me, uh, by the way, if you're ever a doctor or want to be a doctor, don't ever ask somebody this. He said, do you have good health insurance? I said, what does that mean? Like, am I going to live or die? What does health insurance got to do with the price of tea in China? Like, leave him. Can I just get some anti-venom and get healed? And then later on, he told me, um, this is all before they gave me the anti-venom, by the way. I still don't know what's about to happen to me if I start growing scales or you know, uh, they're going to have to take off my leg. And um, then he comes back to me. He says, you know, you can only get the anti-venom once in your life. I'm like, and should I wait? What's going to happen? Do I, do I wait for, like, a snake to fall out in the jungle and bite me in the face? And, and like, oh, I guess this is the time I need the anti-venom. I was like, why would you tell me this? And um. But as believers, we know how this story ends. A lot of us talk about, you know, we need a new beginning. Some of us need to be reminded in the middle of your situation, God is writing a different ending than what Satan wants you to believe. Because Satan wants us to just take us and get our eyes focused on, oh, no, this is the end. God is not for you. God isn't watching over you. God isn't going to take care of you. And that's the immediate reaction I know in my mind typically is to go that way. And so do you know how this story ends? So now you get to reach over and tell your neighbor and say, hey, look, I know how this story ends. So tell them that and encourage them. Say an encouraging voice. Say, I know how this story ends. 
I know how this story ends. It ends with victory. It ends with we win. It ends with light overcoming the darkness. It ends with evil overcoming good. So we know how this story ends. And so as we look at this text here in Thessalonians, uh, there are a few points I, I want to uh, share with you. Really just two points, but there'll be a couple points in the middle there. Number one, you can write this down as this. How does this story end? It ends with the hopeful future for the righteous. A hopeful future for the righteous. Those who have placed their faith in Christ are counted as righteous, not because of their works, but because of what Christ has done. And they have a secure and hopeful future. This week, we saw two of, of, of our men be called home to go be with Jesus. Brother Tom Irving and Mr. Jim Wells. And, man, it was such a blessing to know that these men knew. In fact, Tom Irving was in the hospital room as I went and saw him. And he, he, he was not able to speak, but he was totally able to write. And, and, and he wrote, like, I'm going to be with Jesus. And, and do not weep for me. I know where I'm going. He, he knew that even though his body was failing, he had a hopeful and secure future because he had trusted in Christ. See, we're secure in that. We have the victory. This is a theme all throughout Scripture is that, is that the victory comes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Man, there is victory coming. There is something unbelievable in heaven reserved for those who have trusted Christ. There is a great future ahead. We can say our best days are ahead of us. The best days may not be right in front of you, but our best days are ahead of us. The best is yet to come because Christ is going to come back and restore all things. Later on in that same book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, Paul says this beautiful statement here. He, he says, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got the victory, folks. It's already done. It's already won. I was hearing a story. Someone was talking about World War II. And they were talking about how when the, the battle was already won. But there were a number of troops still in skirmishes over in uh, Southeast Asia and different parts of the world. And, um, and they were still fighting. And so these troops were still fighting. There were still insurgents and evil people fighting. But they had already, the Allies had already won. And the victory had already taken place. And so the war was fought. But those guys were still on those islands. Those guys were still dealing with people shooting at them. And, and that's where we are as believers. We call it the, the already, not yet. Right? We already have the victory. Just not here yet. The already, not yet. We live in that tension, but we already have the victory purchased for us by Jesus Christ when he conquered all the forces of evil, all the powers of hell that could not stand against him. He exploded out of the grave and all of Satan and his foes were defeated. So then listen, listen to what he says though. So he says, we already have the victory, right? And now here's the challenge to us. He says, therefore, I'm still in first Corinthians 50. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And so what an encouragement for us, right? 
man, God gives us the victory. So be steadfast, be immovable. I love what the rapper KB said in, in one of his songs. He says, we don't fight for the victory. We fight from the victory. So there's a difference in our mindset when we know that the battle has already been won. We're fighting from the victory, not for the victory. Jesus already won it. And so here's a couple things that I want us to think about that we know how this story ends, right? This hopeful future for the believers, for the righteous. You'll see them here in the text. The, the, the first one is this, is that we're going to have rescue from our enemies. Rescue from our enemies. Such a beautiful and encouraging thought, right? Justice will be served. You don't have to worry about what people have done to you in this lifetime. God is going to come back. No one gets away with anything. He sees everything, and he will repay those who have done wrong. No lie gets unaccounted for. Someone lied about you at work. Someone lied about you in your family. Someone lied about you in your school. God's going to take care of it. There will be rescue from our enemies. Look, look back with me at the text here, just verse 6, right? It says this, since indeed God considers it just, right? Just. God is a God of justice. No one gets away with anything. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So since we're going to be rescued from our enemies, what does that mean? That means we don't have to worry about fighting them. We don't have to worry about attacking them back. And that's typically where we get hung up, right? Because you know how it is. Somebody hurts you, your reaction is, oh, you know what they say about payback, right? Wait, wait, wait till I get my chance. Wait till I get that spot. Wait till, wait till they put me in charge. Wait till I get the upper hand. And we love to pay people back. We love to gossip about them. We love to talk behind their back. We, we love to attack them when we have the chance. Here in February, as is, is our nation celebrates Black History Month, I wonder how the civil rights movement would have ended differently if they had taken that position. But instead, I really appreciate the work of many of them, many of them being pastors and believers, especially Dr. King, saying, no, this is how the Bible instructs us. We are going to love our enemies. We're going to take a non-violent approach to overthrowing this wickedness that is being perpetrated against us. And as we talk through uh, many of the heroes um, through that time, and, and maybe you, you know, we talk about Dr. King, we talk about Rosa Parks and all those, but, but I'm, I'm often you know, fascinated by some of the heroes we don't hear about, some of those uh, martyrs who lost their lives. And a few pictures I'll share with you this morning. This was the Reverend George Lee, a pastor, 1955. He was the vice president of the Regional Council of Negro Leadership and was an NAACP worker. He was shot in the face and killed for urging his fellow brothers and sisters in Mississippi to vote. That was his crime, encouraging people to vote. Although eyewitnesses saw a carload of whites drive by and shoot into his automobile, the authorities failed to charge anyone. Then on top of that, Governor Hugh White, the governor then of Mississippi, refused requests to send investigators to that town in Mississippi where the murder occurred. It was covered up, Reverend George Lee. And then later on in that same year of 1955 in August, Lamar Smith, 63-year-old farmer and World War II veteran, was shot in cold blood. This is a picture of he and his wife. Where was he shot in cold blood at? 
on the courthouse lawn, surrounded by a group of people in Brookhaven, Mississippi. Again, what was he guilty of? Urging his fellow brothers and sisters to vote. In the newspaper, John Dinamer writes, although the sheriff saw a man leaving the scene with blood all over him, no one admitted to having witnessed the shooting, and the killer went free. This is Lamar Smith. Then in September 25th of 1961, Herbert Lee, a farmer, was shot and killed in Liberty, Mississippi, by not just another farmer, no, by a Mississippi state legislator, one of our government officials shot and murdered Mr. Herbert Lee because of his participation in the voter registration campaign that was sweeping throughout southwest Mississippi. But the authorities never charged him with the crime because according to Charles Payne in his book, I've Got the Light of Freedom, he said the witnesses who had seen it were pressured by the sheriff and others to testify that Lee had tried to hit the, the, the legislator with a tire rod. They testified as ordered, and Hearst was acquitted by a coroner's jury held in a room full of armed men the very same day the killing occurred. Hearst never spent a night in jail. And then perhaps these men are lesser known, but perhaps you've heard of Medgar Evers, uh, a little more well-known. He was gunned down in 1963. He was, again, a NAACP worker. He was the first field member there in Mississippi. He had just come home from a meeting at a Baptist church, encouraging folks there, and uh, was in his car. His wife testifies that she heard his car pull up as she was in the house with her two young children. They heard the car stop, and uh, he was still in the car. She wasn't exactly sure what he was doing. And then she heard a loud noise. Their window shattered, and she ran with her two young children down the hallway, crawling to the bathroom. And then she heard a thud at the side of the house. She ran to the door and saw her husband, who had been shot uh, with half of his chest sort of broken. She got him on the floor and tried to take care of him, got him to the hospital where they refused to treat him because of the color of his skin. Eventually, after over an hour, they decided to treat him, but he died later that night, Medgar Evers. I don't know about you, but this was enough to make my blood boil. It's enough to make me want to fight back and hurt the same people who would hurt others in this way. But oh, thank God for the character, for the people who understood, look, we know how this story ends, and so we are not going to perpetrate evil with evil. Instead, we're going to fight back with love. And what an amazing testimony to these martyrs and many others who gave their lives. I'm reminded as the scripture, as many of them were probably quoting, Romans 12, 19 says this, Do not take revenge. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful statement there? Isn't that a beautiful reminder? Man, how many of us need that? Plaster that on your wall. You don't need to take revenge against the people who have perpetrated evil against you, but leave room for God's wrath. Why? Because you can say, I know how this story ends. And, and I'm going to stand God and be I'm going to stand before and be accountable for my actions. So therefore, I am not going to respond back to you with hate. In fact, I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. So leave room for God's wrath and say, hey, look, I know God's going to take care of this. And so therefore, I don't have to attack you back. I will not stoop down to your level. Amen. Some of us here, we get caught up in fighting the wrong battle though, right? 
we get caught up in fighting against a coworker, against a family member, against a spouse. We, we get caught up in fighting a fellow classmate, even church members. We, we get caught up in fighting a sibling or a neighbor. That's not the battle God has called you to. The battle and the only fight and the only thing God has called you and I to kill is the sin that resides in each of our hearts. That's the only thing we're called to attack and put to death. Amen. And so, but what Satan wants to do is to distract you with a different enemy, to distract you and to think, oh, my spouse is the issue. My neighbor is the issue. They are the enemy. And guess what? Maybe they are the enemy. And Jesus told us to love our enemies as well. Amen. And so, we know how this story ends. It ends with the rescue from our enemies. We don't have to worry about it. Secondly, it ends with relief. Relief from our sorrows. We get relieved. Rest is coming. This is not going to go on forever. You know, you can make it through a situation when you know, is this going to end soon, right? Kids want to know when you take them on a road trip, are we there yet? My kids are going five minutes down the road and they want to know, are we there yet? I'm like, we've driven to church a hundred times. It's seven minutes away. Are we there yet? Don't ask me that. Look around you. You can see. You ever been on a roller coaster, right? And you're, you're, you're scared to be on the roller coaster. You know, you're like, you know, and you're and you're freaking out. But you know you can make it through that crazy bumpy ride because you know, all right, it's only going to last a minute. I was with one of our men, uh, Tony Pepe, who's one of our deacons and was on staff here that's moved out to uh, uh, Washington State there with his wife uh, serving in the United States Navy. But we were at Bush Gardens together one time, and we were on that ride um, where I don't think there's – there's not a seat. You're just kind of like dangling. I don't know what it's called. I'm not a big thrill rider, but you're just kind of in this harness and your feet are dangling and they, and they get you up to the top and they just kind of like lean you over like this, right? I don't know what it was. All I know is this fool, this brother in Christ, whom I love, he starts reaching over because you got this harness like this and then you got like a seatbelt right near your sternum. He starts reaching over to press the seatbelt button on mine. Right? And I'm like, get your head off of me. And in that moment, I was wondering, I don't know how this is going to end. I'm hoping this harness won't go up if he releases that button. But, uh, but I'm like trying to fight him. I just like, can't even reach in. I'm like, get away from me. And my um, brother Tony loved to play those kind of jokes on people. And uh, at that time, I didn't really think it was all that funny because I wasn't sure how it was going to end. But when you know that the ride is going to be over soon, you're like, I can, I can hold on for 30 more seconds. Right. And sometimes someone encouraged me with this is sometimes you're dealing with somebody at your job. You're dealing with the family or you're dealing with the classmate. Can you just do this? Can you just look at them? And in your mind, say this, I'm just going to love them for 30 more seconds. Right. Not I'm going to love them for 30 more seconds and then I'm going to snap on them. That's not what I'm saying. Just just set that goal of like, Jesus, give me the strength to love them for 30 seconds. Like, just give me the strength to listen and to love them. And then when that 30 seconds is up. Guess what you get to do? Lord, give me strength for another 30 seconds, right? Just keep it focused, right? But there's going to be relief. Look at verse 7 with me, right? Verse 7, he says this. And to grant relief, to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Relief is coming. The the word here in Greek has this idea of like a bow string, like from a, a, a bow and arrow. And it's like there's tension on that bow. There's tension on that string. And it's being stretched and pulled and it pulled. And then finally, they let go. 
and the tension is eased. So he's saying, okay, and to grant relief, the stress will end. When? I'm not sure. But I know it will end. There will be an end in sight. That's a promise from God. I love a revelation says, it says, man, behold, he was seated on the throne, says, I'm going to make all things new. God is going to come and make all things new. There will be relief. He says, and I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor curse, nor mourning. So encouraged by Revelation 21. So there'll be relief from our sorrows. Then thirdly, there will be rewards. Rewards for our faith. What are we talking about? We're talking about how we know how this story ends. We know that those who have trusted in Christ, they have a hopeful future and there are rewards for our faith. Look at verse 10 and 12. Look at these are really the greatest rewards, aren't they? When he comes, that's Jesus, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you there is no greater sight than seeing the glory of God revealed. There is no more beautiful picture. Man, I love nature. I love nature pictures. I love hikes. I love trees and bugs. Man, it's beautiful. Have you been checking out the sunsets recently? Man, this has been awesome pinks, all this sort of stuff. Man, those are like a kid's crayon drawing when they're four compared to the glory of God when it will be revealed for us to see. What is the greatest reward of heaven? It's going to be seeing the glory of God, the most dazzling, mind-blowing being in all the universe, and we're going to be in his presence. How we fall at his feet. I don't know like that song says, man, I'm, I don't know how, how if I could only imagine. Would I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you, be still, right? God is going to be glorified. In fact, this whole sort of passage is about through our trials, through our suffering, God is going to be glorified in us. And that really is our highest aim, isn't it? Look, look with me, the rest of it, right? So he says to be glorified. Also, it says in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Then he says, verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good, and every work of faith by his power. What is he saying there? He's he's saying, man, look, we're praying for you because we know you're in this trial and I'm praying you would continue to do good. I'm praying you would continue to work hard and be steadfast and immovable even though you're undergoing. Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't become weary in doing good. So that's what his prayer is, right? But we're doing it by his power. Look at what the verse says. It's not my power. It's a work of faith by his power. And then again, what is the end result? Look at verse 12. The end result is so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be what? Glorified in you. I mean, we, we, we see this, and we were just talking about this as the elders and deacons were praying. And man, we were praying for our church body, and man, multiple sicknesses, many people who have uh, you know, been in the hospital, and, and surgeries coming up for people, and, and people suffering underneath the weight of the brokenness of sin. And they're just in pain. People have dire financial situations. People have dire marriage situations. And it just seems like craziness, right? But yet we're seeing these same people being squeezed, as we said last week. They're being squeezed during these really difficult trials. and They're being a lot like the Thessalonians. The testimony on their lips is God is still greater. God is still better. Jesus is greater than, than anything I could have to offer. 
anything the world could offer me. And so their testimony is that. And it's encouraging for me to watch these fellow believers. So I, I thank you because you're a testimony. And as we visited with some folks, we saw uh, Sam and Dean Atkins. Some of you may remember them. They're uh, living over at First Colonial Inn and unable to, to get out. They're on our shut-ins list. And uh, me and the Joy Fellowship ladies went to just spend some time with them. And they just had a rough time as Dean has fallen several times um, over the past couple of years. And her husband has fallen. And Man, and they've just undergone trial after trial, but they were still in the midst of their difficulty, praising God, testifying that he is greater than, than any pain they could ever go through. And it's so encouraging for me. And so there are rewards. And what is the greatest reward? The greatest reward is seeing Jesus, is, is finally being with him. I love what Romans 8.18 says. This is a verse to, to put on your mirror and, and have memorized. 8.18 says this in the book of Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with what? The glory that is to be revealed to us. Man, it's beautiful. And so as we talk about the hopeful future for the righteous, we see, man, there's going to be rescue, there's going to be relief, there's going to be reward. But now let's talk about the other side of the coin because that's what the rest of Thessalonians deals with. Point number two is, is really this. It's the fateful future for the wicked. This is where it gets a little more difficult for us, right, as we talk about the fateful future for the wicked. And, and, and God is very clear here in his word that he's going to bring punishment to those who have disobeyed him. So here's a couple things. You can write these down. First of all, God's judgment is just. God's judgment is just, meaning it's correct. As we said earlier, there's no injustice on earth that will not be settled in God's court. If God is going to be a perfect judge, he must judge every sin. It is in his very nature to be just. Look at verse 6, right? Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. God does not allow one transgression of his law to go without the right punishment. Think about that. God is a perfect judge. If someone in your family were to be hit by a drunk driver and killed, and some of you have already walked through that, if that were to happen and, and the perpetrator of that said and went to the judge and said, Judge, I'm sorry for what I did. Please let me off the hook. Please don't let me do any jail time. I'm really, really sorry. The judge said, okay, you're sorry. No jail time, no fines, no nothing. You're good to go. And yet your loved ones, your niece, her three little children are gone, killed. What would you say about that judge? It's, not, it's a bad judge, right? It's not, it's not justice. There's got to be some kind of payment made. There's, there's got to be an account reckoning. That, that's not justice. You just don't let people go free who have committed crimes. Oh, but how many of us have committed crimes against God of a far greater nature? And how many sins does it take to invoke just one, just one sin to invoke the wrath of God? Because God is holy and perfect, and he doesn't let not even one go by. And so one sin is enough to separate me and to separate you from his holy presence. God's very nature is holiness. He, his presence 
can't, can't even have sin in his presence. He would just consume it. God is holy and just. James 2.10 says this. Whoever keeps the whole law, whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, has become guilty of what? Of all of it. One sin is enough. God is just. No one gets away. So, what does that mean? God's just. God's judgment is is just. That's a big deal for us. And a lot of times we 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 don't want to think that. We don't think that about other people. We don't want to think that about ourselves, do we? But God is a just judge. Secondly, is this? We see that God's judgment is fearful. God's judgment is fearful. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God and his justice. It is the scariest thing in the universe. Jesus said, don't be afraid of him who can punish the body, but be afraid of him who can destroy the soul and cast it into hell. That is a scary thing. People say, Pastor, should should I be scared of God? Yeah, you should. In fact, our culture and our world could, could do well with a lot more fear of God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I would dare say not enough people are fearful of God. Well, Pastor, I thought we were supposed to have a relationship. This is our Father. We're supposed to be abiding. Yes. You fear Him like you would fire. Right? I love fire. I love its warmth. But I know its power. And I know the, the right way to approach fire, right? I just don't stick my hand in there. But I love the warmth of fire. And I respect it in that way. So God's judgment is fearful. Look, look with me at verse 6. If these verses don't scare you, not sure exactly what will. It says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction, with affliction, those who have afflicted you. Affliction has this idea of tribulation or great pressure. So he says, there's going to be great affliction occurring to those who do evil and do wicked. And then look with me at verse 8. It says this, verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Vengeance has this idea of full and complete punishment, but it's also this idea of to protect or defend or avenge another, and that's what God is doing. He's avenging for the fact that we have transgressed against his laws and his commands. And then look with me at verse 9. Notice what he says. They will suffer punishment. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. They will suffer punishment. What kind of punishment? Eternal destruction. Folks, hell is a real place. Jesus talked about it. He called it eternal torment. He called it eternal destruction. And God desires that none of us would go there. In fact, this is where the beauty of God, where his justice meets his love. Because in order for God to continue to be a just judge, he has to punish sins. And instead of punishing human beings who deserve it, who does he punish? He punishes his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, paying the full wrath, the full penalty for all of my sins and your sins. Should we so choose to have them wiped away by surrendering to him? So God's judgment is fearful. 
eternal destruction. And notice what it says there. Notice what it says in verse 9. He says, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. Really, that leads us to this last one, is that God's judgment is final. So it's fearful, but it's also final. Someone once gave me this kind of sports analogy, right? If you've ever played in a game, um, maybe even if you even played a card game, and, and how you were waiting for the right set of cards, but it was too late, the other team already put down a full house, and it was too late for you. Or if you played a sport, and you were in basketball, and you were ready to shoot the shot, and you were getting ready to take it, and then you heard, ah! before you could even get the shot off, it was too late. The buzzer had sounded the game was over or if you played football and you were running and you got tackled at the 10 yard line and you thought you had enough time to get the huddle back up and the quarterback to make a snap and then the clock ran out and the referees blowed the whistle it's over and there's that feeling right like ah time ran out ah man it was over i didn't i wasn't able to do enough before the time ran out well, I'm here to remind you, folks, God's judgment is final. There will never be another game. There won't even be another season. Once our time here on earth is done, God's judgment is final. It happens and it's done. Your choice and my choice will be made. And it's final. And so what does that mean for us? Would you make your choice now? God has been speaking to you. God has been challenging you. You know you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've been in church 100 years and, and you're playing games with God like many people do. This is final judgment we're talking about, people. This is real. In fact, look at the greatest fear in verse 9. This is the greatest fear. See, a lot of people talk about hell and the greatest fear of hell will be the presence of torment or the presence of, of wickedness and all this sort of stuff. Now, I'm here to tell you, the greatest thing to fear about hell is the absence of something. Look what verse 9 says. Verse 9 says this. They will be, suffer punishment of eternal destructions away, away from the presence of what? From the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's the worst thing about hell, folks, is that God is not there anymore. God is not there. If you, it, so I used to talk like this too before I was a Christian. I used to be like, yeah, man, we're going to bust hell wide open. This is going to be an eternal party. All the goody two-shoes, all the nerds will be up in, in heaven like sitting there like, oh, little choir boys, and we're going to crank a 40 and get lit. Like, we're just going to go crazy. I'm here to tell you that any joy, any pleasure that you have experienced, that I've experienced in this life only comes because God's presence is still here and still working. And so when we talk about to be away from the presence of God, there will be no buddies in heaven. There will be nobody patting you on the back in hell. There will be no encouragement in hell. There will be no light in hell, not one glimmer of hope or joy in hell. It is eternal destruction away from the presence of God. The Bible says God is love. God is love. And so there is zero love in hell. There is nothing but the opposite. There is all hatred. Could you imagine what that is like? Could you imagine the absence of God's presence? So Paul is emphasizing here the scariest part about hell is that it is the absence of the presence of God. And so we see that God's judgment is just, it's fearful, and it's final. And we love to kind of think about that with other people. We love to think about 
you know, uh, racist people. We love to think about other people who, who have harmed you and have attacked you, and, and they will get their just reward that you don't have to worry about. You can trust the judge to take care of them. But we really don't like to talk about ourselves having to stand before God and give an account, don't we? Because we all tend to justify our own sins, our own behavior. We all seem to claim that we're all innocent. I heard the story about um, the Viceroy of Naples, Italy. He was visiting Spain, and, uh, and he was in that harbor, and he noticed a group of convicts aboard, aboard a large galley ship. As punishment for their crimes, these men were sentenced to pull the oars on that ship, and, and they were just sentenced to a lifelong in the dark, uh, rowing oars. Maybe you've seen some of those movies uh, where, where that happens. But he was curious about these men, and so he goes up to each of them. He goes on board the ship there, and he asks each of them to tell him their story. One man begrudgingly said, it was a corrupt judge. He was bribed to convict me. Another said, his enemies framed him by paying people to bear false witness against him. Still another man said that he was falsely accused by a case of mistaken identity. It was not me. It wasn't me. I'm innocent, he said. One after the other, all these convicts explained how they were innocent and deserved to be set free. Finally, the viceroy lands at the very last man on the ship. And he expects to hear the same old story. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything to get in here. I didn't deserve this punishment. But he was shocked when this man said, Viceroy, I'm here because I deserve to be here. I am a thief and I'm a criminal. I committed a crime and I deserve my just punishment. So upon hearing this, the viceroy decided he had to do something about this. So he shouted to the captain. He says, Captain, how have you allowed this one wicked man to be around all these other innocent people? Set that wicked man free so he doesn't corrupt the others. And he let that one wicked man go free. Oh, but how the, so, the same thing is true for you and me, isn't it? We have a hard time admitting our own guilt, don't we? We have a hard time acknowledging our own sin. We love to talk about somebody else. We love to justify how it was her fault, his fault, that they made me do this, and yada, yada, yada. And I've been set up. The reality is, no, sir or ma'am, you are accountable for God for one sin, one lie. Have you told a lie before? Yes, you have. If you haven't, you just told one now. We've lied. Have you hated somebody else in your own heart? Jesus talks about committing murder in our heart. Jesus talks about lust, looking at someone else just with lust is the same as committing adultery. Teenagers and kids, have you honored your parents? That's one of the Ten Commandments. We're just going to talk about the, the Ten Basics, right? Have you honored your parents every time? Every time? Look, the adults in here are like, nope, I'm guilty. Have you used the Lord's name in vain? Have you loved other things more than you love God? Have you had an idol in your heart? Like these are all just the basic ten. And we have failed to get through the first couple. Have you stolen something? Your neighbor's rake? The pencil off the teacher's desk? See, we have all failed to meet God's standard. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God, all people. But here's the beautiful thing, isn't it? This is what Christianity is all about. It's the gospel, folks. It says we fell short, but Christ made 
the way. Christ made the cut. And he would, as we sang, he would interpose, that means transfer his blood, his righteousness to our account. Oh, how I'm prone to wander, prone to stray, right? But Lord, let your grace bind me like a fetter. That's like, God, I need your grace to like just grapple me. Like I, need, I just need to be chained by your grace. Because Lord, I'm so sinful. Even as a believer, I wander off and do stupid things. God, may your grace just chain me because Lord, I'm so wicked. This is the truth of the scripture, folks. So your story, how does it end? Well, if you're struggling and navigating, I like to think uh, of, of people as we think about our congregation. You, you usually were in a number of different categories, and, and maybe uh, you're in this position of, of you would say, Pastor, I'm, I'm sold out. I know where I'm going. I know how my story ends. Right? I'm a sold out believer. What's, what's your challenge for this week? Your challenge is, is to don't become weary in doing good, right? Don't become weary in doing good. Look, look at, at verse 11, because you know how the story ends, right? And, and look with me at verse 11. Verse 11, uh, Paul is praying. He says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill, stay with me, may fulfill every resolve. That's like resolve means desire for good and every work of faith by his power. You know how the story ends. Keep running your race. Don't give up. No, keep making disciples. Keep loving others. Keep trusting. If you're so down, keep running the race. It's not over yet. God is still using you. God still has a purpose if you have a pulse. So no matter what your situation is, keep it up. You're a sold-out believer. Maybe here today and, and you're not in the sold-out crowd. Maybe you're like, Pastor, I'm just kind of stumbling. right? I'm just kind of in the middle trying to do my best, but I'm, I'm kind of stumbling. And I would say to the stumblers is that you need to trust the, the judge. And, and, and maybe you're, you're working through the revenge piece. Maybe you're working through loving your enemies, your sister, your coworker, your spouse. And, and you need to allow God to be the judge of that person. You need to release the hatred in your heart for them. You need to release control. Trust the judge and don't take revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. Amen? Maybe you're here today and, and you're on the other side. You're a seeker. You don't know Christ yet through a personal relationship with him. Your job is to surrender to Christ because he will judge the wicked as we just Red, his justice is coming. His wrath is sure, and it's final. How could you do this? You give your life to Christ. You do what every other believer has ever done, and you just say, Lord, just like that man on the ship, you say, I'm guilty. I deserve to be punished. God, if you could do anything with me. And the Bible says, man, he will receive you. He will in no wise cast out all who call upon his name. doesn't matter what you've done, sir. doesn't matter what you've done. Ma'am, this week, last night, he will not cast you away. If you come to him in sincerity, you have felt his call. Some of us, though, are, are playing, like I said earlier, playing with God, playing with church. You know that's you. I know that's you. Because, listen, I did the same thing. I was just kind of hanging around Christians, and I thought, well, if I hang around Christians, that's good enough. Right? I'll come to church. I'll sing the songs. I'll start to mouth the words. I'll be good with God. I'll be good with everybody else. But I was not yet surrendering my life to Christ. I had not given them control of me. I thought, I'm just going to hang around these people as if, like, their righteousness would, you know, like, impute to me. So I was hanging around with some Christians. I was going to Bible study. I was coming to church until finally, you know, some of the sweet people of this church 
Um, Miss Eva Navarro, she's good about calling people out. If any of y'all know Miss Eva Navarro, she does a good job of calling you out. And she called me out, you know. She's like, I don't think you're really a believer. I was like, what you know about that, Miss Eva? All up in my business. She's like, you know, you're coming to Bible study, you're coming to church, you're doing all these things, that's great. But have you, do you have a personal relationship with God? See, see, you know the other people in this group, they, they got a relationship with God, but you don't. And she had to call me out because I was just playing games with God. I didn't want to yet fully surrender. I thought, well, that's nice for those people, and I'll just kind of be around them. I don't want to catch the flu like they got. I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid they might have, and I don't want to fully surrender. But I'm here to tell you, God eventually, by his grace, broke through my heart, my wicked, stony heart, and gave me faith to believe and enabled me to trust Christ as my Savior. It's been the greatest decision I've ever made. And so, sir, if that's you, ma'am, if that's you, today is your day. God has been speaking to you. Don't, don't just hang around, church. Surrender to Christ. Let me show you Romans 3.23 and just look at the beauty of this passage. Maybe you're familiar with it, but praying that God would give you new eyes to see it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all people, folks. But then it says this, Verse 24, and are justified. See, you don't have to make a justification for your sin when Jesus justifies you and are justified by his grace as a gift. It's a gift. You don't have to earn it. He just gives it to you. All you have to do is receive it. His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. How do you get saved? You, you place your faith in Christ, not in yourself. This was to show, watch this. This was to show the righteousness, or we could say the justice of God. Because remember I said, God is going to punish every sin. To show the, the righteousness of God. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. How many of you know that's true? God is allowing you and I to breathe today because in his forbearance, he has not called us to account for our sins. And then verse 26, he says, it was to show his righteousness. At the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? The justice of God meets the love of God. He becomes the same just judge who doesn't let anyone get away with their sins. And the punishment was paid, not by you and me, but by Christ. Oh, how you would give your life to him today. So we're going to pray. We're going to have a time of response. And we would invite you. So with heads bowed. With eyes closed, nobody bothering their neighbor. Wherever you are in your faith, I want to encourage you to reach out to Christ. But I'm, I'm talking specifically to those who would put themselves in that category of, I don't have that relationship. I got religion. I got church membership. I got Christianese. But I have not surrendered my life. I have not had my sins wiped away by the blood of the Lamb. You know the Lord has been speaking to you. He's weighing upon your heart. If that's you this morning, I'd invite you to call out to Him. I'd invite you to cry out to Him. How could you do that, Pastor? You, you just pray. You just in the quietness of your heart. And I can lead you if this expresses your heart. You might want to say something like this in your heart. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus I admit that I'm guilty. I know that I've sinned against you. I ask that you'd forgive me of all my sin. I ask that you'd forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. 
to pay for my sin? And I believe that you rose again on the third day. Father, help me to trust you. Father, help me to trust you. And I believe your spirit lives in me. I surrender to you. If you pray that prayer for the first time, we'd love to celebrate with you. Love for you to put it on your connection card. Put it in the offering plate in just a few moments so that we can help you take your next steps. Because the Bible says that after we become a Christian, we need to make a public declaration of our faith. That we're not ashamed of the gospel. That we need to grow. So I want to invite you to do that. Maybe you came with somebody today, a family member or a neighbor, and you want to let them know, I prayed that prayer. Let them know about that. They, they would love to celebrate with you. Nobody wants to embarrass you or anything like that. But this is an important time. This is an important work that God has done in your life. And we want to be able to help you take your next steps. So, Father, as we come to you, we're so grateful that we know how this story ends. God, that we could walk without fear. That we could walk through the trials. Because we know, God, that we have the victory. So God, fuel us. And for those who have come to faith today, Father, they now know how their story ends. And it ends in a way different way than it would have ended if they were stuck guilty in their sins. Oh God, how freedom comes. Oh God, how relief comes. Oh God, how righteousness comes to those who have had their sins washed. Father, we honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.